You just checking level right now, or are we ready to roll? Okay. <clears throat> um, <laughs> not sure where to start. Greg Branch, a former Saginaw mayor, died in February 2019 at the age of 62. But not long beforehand, he sat down with us to tell a story from one night when he was a young journalist working a night shift at the Saginaw News. He told us how the phone rang, and he picked up. So I said Saginaw News Sports, and this voice on the other end said, um, I, I want to report a murder, and I can still hear his voice. Um, a very, very distinctive voice, um, kind of deep. He sounded like he was a little high. Um, and it, it, was, it was just a little weird. So I hung up the phone and I thought, you know, this is probably a prank. It was no prank. This is Michigan Crime Stories. Crime Stories is a podcast that explores murder, mysteries, and mayhem in the Mitten State. Criminal behavior has always enthralled us. It's when societies determine what is and isn't allowed. We assume heinous crimes are committed by monsters, individuals we dehumanize in an effort to make sense of their deeds. Their victims sometimes seem distant, just faded names in a passing headline. But the terrifying truth is that crimes are committed by ordinary people, just like you and me. And many of those crimes happen right in our own backyards. My name is Gus Burns. My name is Darcy Moran. We're reporters for MLive.com and your host for Michigan Crime Stories. This episode is titled, When a Killer Calls. The calls started coming before the body was found. The body of Charlene Johnson Lane, that is. In 1978... Johnson Lane was a 28-year-old woman. She was married but separated, and family said she'd put days of partying with the wrong people behind her. She was a churchgoer, a choir singer, and she wanted to move to L.A. to work in her brother's antique shop. But for the time being, she lived with her poodle in Saginaw. Once the home of lumber barons, it was a busier urban area at the time, thanks to General Motors. Johnson Lane lived in an apartment in a house on Walnut Street, on the populous east side. It was less than two miles from the gray and green windowed Saginaw News Building, where then 21-year-old Greg Branch took the first call. It was Sunday, February 12, 1978. As per usual at that hour, the part-time sports reporter and the night watchman were the only people there, the only ones to answer the ringing phone. So I said Saginaw News Sports, and this voice on the other end said, um, I, I want to report a murder. And I, I thought, okay, are, are you sure? Uh, and, and he said, yeah. Uh, it's at 16, whatever the address was, 1616 maybe Walnut. Um, she's been strangled and raped and stabbed. 
and I remember thinking at the time in in that order, um, which was kind of a weird thing to think, but um, then I, I I don't know for sure. I don't remember what else I said after that. Um, I, I seem to remember asking if he sure if he was sure he was calling the right place, but he wanted to call the Saginaw News. Um, and then I think I probably said something like, "Is there anything else?" Which you know, it's like, you you want fries with that? I, I don't you know. <laughs> um, but uh, and and that was it, and and he was gone. Branch consulted the on-duty security and called police. The desk sergeant who took his call laughed. He also seemed to think it was a prank. Still, he told Branch police would check it out. I went back to working on my story, and, and maybe half hour later or so, phone rings again, and it's the police department. And the guy wants to confirm my name and uh, you know all of my information. And he said, well, we went over, and yeah, it's right, she the woman there and it sounds exactly the way they described it to you and at that moment I kind of freaked because I thought all right so the guy who called me is obviously the guy who did it but branch wasn't the only one to get a call the anonymous tipster had phoned police too and he may have watched as police arrived to Johnson Lane's home according to a cold case profile published over a decade later Police initially went there after getting a tip that Sunday, but they found the door locked and left. Then officials got another call. Tell the police to come back. They found Johnson Lane in a pool of blood on her living room floor. She'd bled to death from a stab wound to her stomach. A few days later, on Wednesday, phones rang again in both the police station and the newsroom. This time, the caller admitted to the killing. He said police put him on hold. So then Saginaw News reporter Mike Byer took the confession. I happened to be in there at night, and same thing, that bell rang. I answered the phone call, and it was this the suspect in the case. And he indicated that he wanted to turn himself in. He said he was afraid, though, the police would kill him. And I said, well, he could meet with me, and I'd take him in there because they wouldn't kill him if I was there. A plan was made for the man to surrender following Johnson Lane's funeral. And he did call police that day. But when he couldn't get the officer he wanted on the phone, he hung up. Forty years later, and no one has been charged. I've, over the years, I've sort of wondered what happened to this guy. By now, he's probably dead. Who knows? It certainly seemed to, like he wanted to confess and then to go on for years and never confess. Leads, including notorious serial killer Coral Eugene Watts, ran dry. But Johnson Lane's family thinks the killer is a bit closer to home. Saginaw News reporter Bob Johnson spoke with one sister in 2015 for a story. As a side note, he's of no relation to the family. The sister, she had suspected a person of doing it, and that person was sentenced to life in prison for a murder that he had committed that same year. I actually wrote that guy a letter. I didn't get a response back. The sister still had photos and newspaper clippings of Charlene Johnson Lane. She told Bob Johnson she can't go near where her sister's home once was. It's too painful. She was unable to speak with us again, but in 2015, she had this to say. They had no right to take her from me. 
Charlene wasn't no fighter. She wouldn't fight nobody. I hope they solve this case. Police, for their part, said they can't say much yet. But they've worked on the case in the last few years, and it's still an active investigation. It's not been forgotten by the reporters on the case either. Here's Greg Branch and Bob Johnson once more. It, it comes back at certain times just uh, kind of randomly as, as just one of those very weird life experiences. Because the community size of Saginaw is so small, again, everyone knows each other, even if they don't. So for something like that to happen and it, and it, and it goes unsolved, um, people have questions because now, you know, the paranoia comes out. They wonder, I wonder if this person did it or maybe this person actually knows something. Hi, this is Darcy Moran with Michigan Crime Stories, and I'm sitting here with my co-host Gus Burns. And on the phone, we have Saginaw News reporter Bob Johnson, whose reporting was key to telling this story with the exception of some audio from Mike Byer and a call to police. This story is completely based off his reporting um, in 2015 and touching base uh, in 2018 as well. Uh, Welcome, Bob. Thank you for having me, Darcy. Hey, Gus. So just to start out, can you tell me a little bit about how you found out about this case? Well, I found out about this story because I was talking to Greg Branch, who was a, a sports reporter for the Saginaw News Um, in the late 70s, early 80s, and he went on to become the city's mayor. And I I was talking to him at an event. He just casually mentioned this one time where he was in the newsroom and answered the phone, and the guy was on the other end confessing to a a murder and a rape. And at that moment, I just, my antenna went up, and I I just knew that I had to retell the story. Hi, Bob. This is Gus. And as you know, I worked at the Saginaw News for about four years. I think I left about the time that you were coming on. We overlapped a little bit. But um, so I knew Mayor Greg Branch as I was a reporter for City Hall. And I think he just seemed like a very interesting person. I was kind of surprised to hear that he had died. He was pretty vibrant and engaged. I was wondering if you could just give us more background on him, what you know about his life and his career. He was very involved in Saginaw. He, he loved anything about Saginaw. He was he was a big promoter of the city and champion for the city. Um, to have a person who you trust, who delivered news to you, who was involved in a lot of things in Saginaw, become the mayor, it's, it's, it's no surprise at all. Going on this idea about someone calling the news and trusting the news to give them tips, I mean, here you have in this story the killer, the alleged killer being the one to do that, it kind of got me thinking about how myself, you, or Gus, you know, all being crime reporters that have had to talk to people convicted of crimes, um, accused of killings, kind of got me thinking how we might handle the situation. And I'm kind of curious how you think you might uh, go about this kind of odd taking a call from a killer. So when I heard that Greg Branch answered that call, I was kind of envious of that. I was like, wow, that was like, to me, it was just so exciting. You know, even though it was a tragic event, it was just like, wow, you know, as a journalist, your blood gets to flowing a little bit. If I had that call right now, I would, um, I would definitely try to get as much information as I can. My curiosity would make me want to learn more about the person. 
um, and what made them do what they did. You know, it intrigued me in this story, talking to Mike Byron, it didn't get into the narration for this, but he kind of noted how um, high crime uh, this time was in Saginaw. But just in general, I was asking him, you know, were you alarmed in that moment, taking that phone call and on the other end is someone saying, I killed someone, will you help me surrender? And he was saying, you know, it didn't really phase him because, you know, there were like 50 crimes a year is what he told me. And, you know, you just get used to it. It's just kind of like, no, I, I just got to report the story. I got to move forward. And that's what both these reporters did. Yeah, they did. They did really, really great job at doing it, too. I mean, so much so that even decades later, the story is still intriguing. The potential, the alleged killer or a person who could have potentially killed this uh killed Charlene made a phone call to the news and could have been like this close to figuring out who this person is so it makes it more mysterious than anything I'm wondering you both reported on this case can you tell us where this case is right now in time I would guess that it's open because all cases are open until they're closed Um, and they will continue to work on it as developments come in And that was my understanding. I spoke with um, Chief Ruth, uh, that's the Saginaw Police Chief, uh, recently for this story. And like we noted in the story, uh, they said they couldn't say much, but I did get the idea that they are making progress on this. So I think this will be something interesting to watch in coming years, and hopefully we get some answers here. Um, You know, just switching finally, uh, Bob, and then we can let you go. I wanted to ask, you know, this is an interesting story about... You know, someone calling, you know, the news instead of police. What do you think this tells us a little bit about the relationship between the public and media? It shows in this case that the media is, is trusted. They are a trusted source for for people. Um, just just the fact that this guy called a newsroom instead of the police, it, it, it just shows that he may have trusted um the media a little more than, than than police for whatever reasons. Maybe it's because he just knew that they would um, that media would be would do the right thing um, as far as getting him arrested. Maybe he feared that police would have not treated him fairly. I think it kind of speaks to the special relationship that the Saginaw News has in Saginaw because. As we all know, you know, news organizations have definitely come under fire and there's been a lot of distrust, but it, it kind of shows perhaps from what you're saying um, that that's maybe not totally the case in Saginaw. There, there's really a, a relationship between the news and its citizens there. Anyways, I will, I will end it there on that note. But uh, Bob, thank you so much for all your work on this. We're highly appreciative of you um, and, and thanks to Gus. Uh, uh, this is Darcy Moran. This is Gus Burns. And this is Michigan Crime Stories. Thanks to the late Greg Branch for speaking to us. Also, thanks to the Saginaw Police Department and Mike Byer. If you know a crime story you want to know more about, give me a shout at dmoran at mlive.com. Again, that's d-m-o-r-a-n at mlive.com. I'm Darcy Moran. And this is Michigan Crime Stories. Mm -hmm.